Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 129, A Matter of Honor. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. And let me be up front, I'm, uh, I'm not feeling well this week. So at any moment, I could be killed by my second-in-command, and he may take over the show. Uh, luckily, he and I both look and sound exactly the same, because that's right, I am both guest aliens on the show this week. Bam! Man, you know, for a guy who's not feeling well, yeah. you're, you're you're able to blow my mind. Yeah, sadly, that may have been first it. Of all. That may have, that, that you that may have been. I may have just blown it in the first 30 seconds of the show. It's all downhill from here. It might be. It might be. And it, and if you listen to it and you think it was all downhill from here, then, then maybe you could write to us and tell us, because who doesn't love hearing that? I remember there is one phrase to get in touch with us a few different places, Mission Log Pod. You can find us at Facebook, Skype, and Twitter with the phrase Mission Log Pod. Uh, you can call us, 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. Uh, we have a show website including the discovered documents and all kinds of other fun stuff. That can be found at missionlogpodcast.com. And remember, uh, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Well, Ken, today's episode is a matter of honor, where we get to have a little bit of uh, an exchange program between uh, the Federation and the Klingons, who are, are now our allies, but uh, but maybe a little tenuous. Uh, but Ken, before we get into that, you may have noticed that I snuck something into our show notes here, because as people know, we don't always share everything that we're going to talk about. We try very hard to avoid that. But I snuck a thing in here uh, about some big news that even you don't know about. Okay. All right. So um, as of the day that this show gets released, so it doesn't matter if you're listening to it the day it releases or any time thereafter, yes. um, we will have a new website. I don't believe you. I, I promise. I would not commit it to tape <laughs> if I weren't dead serious about it. Wow. So you're, you're actually running tape on your end, are you? Oh, yeah. Well, I've got a big reel to reel. See, I'm calling this whole computer. thing into question yeah. now. I'm calling it all into question now. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> so new website, you say? You mentioned missionlogpodcast.com. That remains our address. But, um, you know, when we started the show in August of 2012, we didn't know we were going to be around for a week. Were we going to be around for uh, a month or a year? Who knew? Mm -hmm. and, and we had a certain website that is absolutely beautiful to look at. But as the show got bigger and bigger, it became more data to deal with. And um, we had to come up with a new way to handle that. And what that means is that like trying to change a tire on a car that is going down the highway, we had to sort of go in and build a new website while maintaining the current website. Mm -hmm. That has now been done. And uh, that new website will be live. And uh, the, the even better news about it is that we can scale it, we can expand it, we can add cool things. If there's a problem or a mistake or something missing, It'll be easy to fix, um, and it'll be fully searchable, archivable. So you could literally go in and type in Bob Justman and then get all the discovered documents that relate to Bob Justman or maybe an episode that he was specifically a part of. Mm. Uh, but we can keep growing that and changing it over time. So I'm very, very excited about that. There are uh, two things that I want to say uh, really quickly. Go right ahead. Sadly, I've already forgotten one of them. Okay. Okay, but more data to deal with is actually mm -hmm. the alternate title for next week's show. Yeah. 
<laughs> nice. Yeah, thank you. Nicely I, w- I wish I could remember the other one because it actually made more sense. And it was, I'm sure it was, it was great. Yeah. It's sure it was great. It, this, yeah. this is just looking like going to be a stellar show for me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hey, you know what's really cool though? I may have I may have a little time to do a tiny bit exciting news, by the way. And and I am giving somebody who is not even part of this show a little bit of a hard time about the upcoming website. I'm very excited about that. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you've said that's going to be a thing from now. What's funny is people like a year from now are going to yeah. say, "Oh, I wonder what the old website looked like." Right. Yeah. Right. Well, we may may save it in perpetuity. We'll yes. have it. Somewhere where you can get to it. Just like a screen capture even, just something like right. that, or do the Wayback Machine or something like that. Anyway, I, I'm going to do, like, um, I'm going to rest myself a little bit, I think, while you do there trivia. You All right, cool. Today's show was written by Burton Armas, a name that we have seen on Star Trek before. Um, and you may not know this. It's kind of a cool backstory about Burton Armas. He was actually a New York cop, and he was hired as a consultant on Kojak. And uh, he he kind of hung around at Kojak for a while, and he actually appeared on screen a little bit. And when that show wrapped, uh, he had made his way out to L.A. and continued to work in TV. So not unlike Gene Roddenberry, he had a, a career as a police officer and then a career as a TV writer, director, producer, and sometime actor. Uh, today's episode was directed by Wunderkind Rob Bowman, who we've talked about uh, quite a bit before. And uh, today's episode actually is the high point for the ratings for season two of Next Gen. So it kind of peaks right here. And then uh, we'll see that those ratings kind of settle back down a little bit after this and the next episode of Next Gen. A Matter of Honor was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Makeup Design. Oh, that sounds like cheating. (laughs) Why is that? Well, because the last time we had that makeup on it, it was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Makeup Design. Well, here's the thing. You had that makeup, if you're talking about the Ben site, but you also had a lot of, a lot of, had, had a lot of Klingon makeup in this episode. You had a Klingon female makeup in this episode. Two. You had a lot of teeth. Yeah, that's true. You know? So right. there was a lot going on for uh, a one-hour TV show. All yeah. right. I'm just saying, though, the Benzite, you know, they were nominated yeah. for that exact same makeup. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, well, we'll talk about that uh, again in just a few seconds. Um, so speaking about the uh, costumes and makeup, and uh, let's get into the guest actors here. Brian Thompson plays the Klingon Clag. He's, uh, he's a big guy. And uh, he's been working in the industry uh, since he had a bit part in the original Terminator movie. And uh, interesting, when he first auditioned for the role of Clagg, he was rejected outright because he did not fit the costume, which was Christopher Lloyd's costume from Star Trek Three. So he got his agent on the phone and he got his agent to give a call to the production office to please, please, please schedule him to come in and audition. Um, he even offered to work on the costume himself to get it to fit. So he convinced them, he got the job, and then he went on to do more Star Trek later as different characters. And remind me, Rob Bowman actually had a huge part in the X-Files, right? Uh, yes, he, he worked on that show as well. Yep. Yeah, because so did, uh, so did Brian Thompson. Oh, right. He was yes, the alien yeah, bounty yeah, yeah, hunter. Yeah. And yeah. What amazed me, actually, was in looking him up for this, mm-hmm. um, the alien bounty hunter is such an iconic part of X-Files for me. And the fact mm-hmm. that he was recognizable through the you know Klingon makeup. Oh, wow. I, I, I was yeah. just like, that's, yeah, that's so amazing to me. Um, nine times on the X-Files. 
Wow. That's it. Cool. Out of like what? Wow. Like nine or ten seasons, I think, for that show. Yeah. Yeah. They did a million episodes of that show. They did yeah. a million episodes of that a show. A million episodes. I think of him as being in like half of them. <laughs> right. Right. And he's in like wow. nine of them. So, uh, yeah. 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 I, was, I was very excited to see him uh, to see him turn up. He's a memorable guy. Um, now, we were talking about the uh, the actor fitting the costume. So speaking of that, we have the return of John Putsch. Uh, the actor this time in the role of Mendon, a Benzite who is totally not Mordock. Um, Butch, of course, played Mordock in uh, Coming of Age. Now, he has worked steadily in TV and film for most of his life, starting out as a child actor. He is the son of Gene Stapleton. And uh, his father is William Putsch, who Stapleton met while doing theater in the 1950s. And uh, essentially, we got the same actor back because the makeup had already been created for him in Coming of Age. It was literally like, we have the molds, we have the mask, just get the same actor so we know it'll work. And uh, that's how he came to play the other Benzite, who is definitely not Mordok. And uh, finally, we have Chris Latta as Cargon, uh, Captain Cargon. He is a voice actor primarily. Uh, he has a lot of voice credits. And um, he has four other appearances in Star Trek, uh, not unlike Brian Thompson, who went on to do much more with Trek. It is Bon Voyage Charlie Brown meets, well... Meet Star Trek The Next Generation. Let's let John tell us more. Prologue. Another day, another starbase. This time 179 if you're keeping track of that kind of thing. This mission will have a handful of new crew members beamed over to the Enterprise, including a familiar Ben Sight with blue face and weird vapor apparatus on his chest. Wesley is thrilled to see his old friend, The Mordock, Except this guy isn't the Mordock, he's a Benzite who looks like him. Mendon. Not the Mendon, just Mendon. He's there as a part of an exchange program to get to know Federation procedures. And in the phaser range, Picard has invited Riker down to play around a Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters. In their conversation, Riker tells Picard about the eager Mendon, while Picard mentions he's been mulling over the idea of sending one of his own crew to learn on a Klingon vessel. Riker volunteers. Act 1. Worf tries to brief Riker on a little Klingon tradition. No big deal, just things like how the first officer is expected to kill the captain if he becomes weak. This should be a breeze. Mendon is settling in by hovering over everyone on the Enterprise and irritating them by judging their work. This should work out great. Riker is spending his last hour aboard the Enterprise by indulging in some Klingon delicacies. There's Pippius Claw, Heart of Tar, Gah, better known as Serpent Worms. He's loving it, or at least trying to fortify himself for what is to come. Dr. Pulaski is repulsed. Captain Picard is amused. Before heading over to the Pah, that's the Klingon ship, Worf fits Riker for a transmitter. Doesn't expect any trouble, but just in case, this is a little beacon that can be activated to warn the Enterprise that their first officer may need to be beamed back aboard pronto. Riker is prepared to beam over after Captain Cargan gives the go-ahead. Meanwhile, Mendon has found something weird, an unidentified life form on the hull of the Klingon ship. Well, 
Better not bother anyone with that. He'll just keep it to himself. Act 2. Say goodbye to the Pach. They're off to do whatever they're going to do. Menden introduces himself to Captain Picard and immediately launches into his spiel for improved bridge efficiency. Yeah, not now and not me. Picard explains that Menden needs to go through the right channels, which means going through Worf. They're already not exactly seeing eye to eye, what with Menden's grating earnestness and Worf's do-not-mess-with-me vibe. Riker is ingratiating himself to the crew of the Pach. Captain Cargan is already questioning where Riker's loyalty lies. He is, after all, the Federation officer. But Riker assures him that in his capacity as temporary first officer of the Pach, his loyalty is to Cargan. Lieutenant Clagg isn't so sure, and he says as much by calling Riker a liar. So Riker kicks his Klingon butt all over the bridge in an unambiguous show of Klingon-style loyalty. First round of hazing, Riker 1, Klingons 0. On the Enterprise, Mendon finally brings to everyone's attention what he found earlier. Well, only because Data found it too and is now trying to figure out what it is. There's a weird life form, an unknown bacteria feeding off the hull plating of the Enterprise. Mendon says he held back the information about the same thing on the Klingon ship since it's not his way. Benzites don't share information unless they have all the facts in and are ready to make a suggestion. What was proper for him is not really practical for the way the Federation ship works. Now Data and Mendon have some work to do, and Worf finds an opportunity to take a cheap shot at Mendon. Act 3. Riker did himself a favor by getting used to Klingon food. In the mess hall aboard the Pach, he's chumming it up with his new crewmates over a plate of gach, this time crawling around on the plate alive. He turns up the charm to eleven and may have scored himself a date with a Klingon female for later. Riker 2, Klingons 0. After dinner, Riker talks family with two of his crewmates. Clagg reveals the family shame that his father was captured by Romulans who didn't kill him. When his father escaped, he went back to Kronos to live out his life as an old man, without honor. That shame runs deep, and Clagg hasn't seen him nor wants to see his father again. Riker shares a human perspective with him. It's your father. You should see him. Even if you think it's impossible now, things change. Menden is making some progress about this hull-eating bacteria. The Klingons are actually worse off than the Enterprise right about now, and in fact, that bacteria has probably opened up a hole in their hull. Cut to the outer hull of the Pach. Just as predicted, there is a hole where there shouldn't be one. Captain Cargon puts Riker on the spot, accusing the Enterprise of using some kind of weapon to cause the breach. Riker denies it. Cargan is going to use slightly less deductive logic to solve the problem and slightly more vengeful aggression. Why doesn't matter anymore. Prepare for attack. Act 4. Mendon is a little blue. I'll just leave that one there for a moment. Wesley drops by to cheer him up. Look, the problem was protocol, not that you're a bad guy or incompetent. You just need to speak up and maybe adapt to the way we do things here. Just what he needed. Pep talk from a kid. On the Pach, that hole is getting worse, and Cargan is getting more worked up. Clagg tries to come to Riker's defense. The guy is good, probably not a spy, but Cargan isn't hearing it. He's in attack mode now, and the Enterprise is in range, approaching quickly on an intercept course. This only adds fuel to the fire for the Klingon captain. He orders photon torpedoes to be armed. 
Riker asks his captain to just ask the Enterprise what they want. Cargan tries to push Riker for information. Where are the vulnerabilities of the Enterprise? He may be pushed, but he doesn't budge. Riker shoots back that he is prepared to die on this ship in a battle with the Enterprise as a matter of loyalty, but his oath to Starfleet means he will not share anything more. Well done, Riker. Cargan tells him if he had given any other answer, he would have been killed on the spot. He's got this honor thing down pat. Riker 3, Klingons 0. Mendon has made an important discovery. Those microbes can be controlled. Just a tunneling neutrino beam is all they'll need. Picard says good and tries to broadcast that info to the Pach, wherever she may be. Too bad, though. You can't convince Cargan and can't break him out of his excitement for battle. He's still armed and ready to take on the Enterprise. Act 5. The Enterprise still can't find the Pach, though, which means she may be cloaked. Following procedure, Picard puts his ship on red alert. See? They must be up to something. Riker tells Cargon that he recommends firing on the Enterprise at a distance of no more than 40,000 kilometers. It'll give them a shorter window to retaliate. What he also does is activate the transponder Worf gave him earlier. The captain sees it and asks Riker for it. Sure thing. On the Enterprise, Worf sees the signal go off. Picard orders a beam out directly to the bridge, but they have to wait to get in range, about 40,000 kilometers. When the ship comes into transporter range, Transporter Chief O'Brien does as he is told and he asks Beam's Cargun directly to the bridge, which effectively puts Riker in command of the Pach. Cargun sees what's happening and pulls his sidearm, not before Worf can get off a shot, though. With Cargun incapacitated and Riker in charge of the Pach, he orders the cloak to be dropped. Picard transmits a message to the Pach. They are here to help. The next message to come through is Captain Riker ordering a surrender. It's the honorable thing to do. Picard does, and Cargon is sent back to his own ship. Cargon is not happy. He was tricked. He was wrong. And Riker does what a good first officer should do. He takes a punch from the captain, thus restoring command. Klingons won. Riker is still three, but only on a technicality. Riker is beamed back to the Enterprise after repairs are made to the Pach. Then it's off to sickbay. The guy has a nasty bruise. The end. So all Benzite look alike. <laughs> well, and, and sound alike and talk alike. That was so uncomfortable. I mean, it's good that yeah. they explained it away, but when, you know, Crusher's like, hey, Mordok, I'm not Mordok, I'm Mendon. Oh, sorry, because you all, do you all... Yeah, no, it turns out they're from the same geodome or something, so that's why they both look alike and sound alike. And how do they tell each other apart? Well, they just do. But you have to be a insight. Yeah. That could have been the start of a whole different episode right there. <laughs> well, uh, so first of all, honest mistake. Honest mistake on his part. Yeah. Right. Um, yes. But, but it is it is interesting. There is something here, though, in the underlying story of this. Riker goes sort of blind. Mm-hmm into this Klingon ship where to him, they're all alike. They're all, you know, they may not all look alike. Certainly they, you know, they're a little more distinctive in in this respect, but culturally to Riker, they're all alike. Well, I mean, and we'll come back to that as more of a discussion, Mm -hmm. but it is kind of interesting that that, I mean, a large part of this episode is discovering that the preconceived notions that we had about a group of people turn out not to necessarily be the case. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. But let's begin with (laughs) (laughs) just seriously, one of the biggest white guy faux pas you'll ever come across. Yeah. 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 So that was fun. It was the same actor, though. It was the same. No, I understand. (laughs) They had to do it. They absolutely had to do it to explain why he looks exactly alike. I mean, because they decided to, you know, forgive me for saying so. It's not like I could put together a TV show, but because they decided to cheap out on the makeup, then they really have to explain why it is that he looks and sounds exactly like the other guy. There's still just a tiny bit of, you know, maybe uh, implied cultural insensitivity that you'd be like, hey, you're, you're, oh, you're, oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have another question that's that's really more about um just sort of um resources aboard sure. the enterprise. They have a phaser range? Mhm. Okay. Cuz I would think that everything like that like phaser ranges, gymnasiums, stellar cartography, 10 Ford going outside, I would think I would make all of that like, you know, holodeck stuff. Yeah. Right? The bridge yeah. maybe, yeah. crew right. quarters, uh going outside, that I mentioned yeah. going outside, I would think that that yeah. might be a holodeck thing. You know, the fact that they had a phaser range, which seems like a whole lot of space for a spaceship. Yeah, it it, it seemed to me like a holodeck. Like yeah. Even when they said phaser range, I yeah. was thinking holodeck well, because we're in that big empty room. Because that makes know. perfect sense, right? Because here's yeah, the other yeah. option. Then what you're doing is you're saying, okay, so we've got this uh, metal tube, right? It's metal and you know titanium, which I guess is a metal. I don't know. You've mm-hmm. got this metal tube that's in space and all that separates you know you from the howling void yeah. is walls. So So please take a firearm. granted it's probably on some sort of low setting but take a firearm and just yeah just wave it around yeah yeah Yeah. i i would hope that it's not a low setting i well i would hope that it's just a holodeck i want to say that i i think it was roger ebert in a review a long time ago Mm -hmm. like maybe when oh I, i don't know the fifth or sixth or seventh star trek movie had come out mm-hmm. and and he mentioned something about sparks flying off from the bridge every time they get hit <laughs> and and he said we're on a ship yeah in which we have a holodeck that can create and replicators can just create matter out of nothing yeah out of energy you just we basically have a giant energy producing therefore mass producing thing that can literally just move these pieces all over the ship at will like why even have a room much less a room that is wired to explode every time something hits it yeah you know yeah. but then we wouldn't have things exploding and people getting thrown around you need a good bang at the end for people to clap speaking of that yeah uh, how about that riker what about him? <laughs> he he just he is so charming in this episode, right to those Klingons. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. The ladies were charmed. Not even not attracted to him. They just, you know, kinda wanted to they kinda wanted to put him through his paces. One one gets right. the impression but between this and what was the episode where everybody was hallucinating? No, it was it was Q. It was yeah. where Q was giving everybody what he thought they wanted. One gets the impression that sex is something that Klingons do to each other, not right. not with each other. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's no level on which they're like, oh, well, this will be good for, you know, both of us. It's more like, yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's, let's mm-hmm. see which one breaks first. 
Right. <laughs> um, the whole food thing in this episode was very amusing to me, um, mm-hmm. especially since those things showed up on the menu at Star Trek The Experience. Oh, did they? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think I've got a menu somewhere from there, but it was like, you know, ribs of Targ were ribs and, uh, you know, Pippius Claw, I believe those were the uh, uh, chicken wings. The one, um, the one time I, I, I ordered anything there, I think it was the Reuben. Oh, right. I, I don't think that had a clever. Uh, I don't thing. think. I don't think it did. I think that's probably why I ordered it because I was right. like, "Oh, I know exactly what that is." Okay. Well, it was kind of cool, and I, I didn't put it in the trivia, but it, it is kind of cool that the prop master, who is in an interview on one of the DVDs or uh, uh, Blu-rays for season two, rather, um, he talks about just like going to an Asian market and getting stuff. And and some of it was very recognizable, you know. Like you've got octopus. I, I love octopus. That looked good to me. And then uh, the the Pippius claw were chicken feet. And uh, I believe that they had Picard a, a glass that had like it looked pretty nasty. It looked like coffee with a bunch of enoki mushrooms coming out of the top, which yeah. I love separately, but maybe not together. <laughs> not together. No. no. Seemed like he was having something tempura. I thought I might go for that. Well, you deep fry anything. Yeah, because Riker did take a big crunchy bite out of something. He did. And I thought, you know, that's the thing I could eat on that table right there. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, that's the southerner and me and you coming out. Indeed. (laughs) Just deep fry it. I'll eat it. Um, They make a mention of subatomic bacteria. And I went, what? Because then I wanted to know what is making up those bacteria (laughs) if they are subatomic. Because those are really, really tiny. Right. Which means there's something smaller than an atom making up something that is big enough. I, well, maybe yeah. it was just under the layer of atoms. Maybe that's what it, maybe it's literally sub. There you go. Like so they just not, have a, not smaller than atomic, but under. Just a big atomic layer. And it was hiding. <laughs> exactly. It was hiding out. Well, you remember the skin that I was talking about earlier that was, you know, uh, keeping everybody safe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. just under that. All right. Yeah, that's where that's where the uh, bacteria was. It did make me think of something, though. Um, the the phenomenon under the sea of rusticles. Have you heard about that? No. So I, I don't know if it was the first time it was observed, but uh, certainly a lot of study has been done on it since then. But on the wreck of the Titanic, they discovered that these basically icicle-looking things are hanging off of it, and they get bigger and longer every year. Mm-hmm. And it's bacteria that are eating the iron. In the ship. Hmm. So you go back in a hundred years, there may be nothing left but a big rust stain at the bottom of the Atlantic. Um, and in fact, a new, an entirely new species of bacteria was discovered in studying those rusticles. So it could be kind of, it, it opens up a whole new area of research because the idea is that either there is a way then to fight the the erosion and degradation of structures made out of steel that we want to have under the sea. But then you also may want to be able to have that kind of erosion and degradation. Let's say if you are purposely sinking a ship or sinking a, a, a you know, work platform or something, and you want it to be essentially recycled by these bacteria. So that's what I thought of seeing this uh, in the show. I thought that was kind of neat. Um, I also thought it was cool that we learned the range of the transporter. Yes. 40,000 kilometers. That's now it. We, yeah, that's it. No no more than that. Although I'm a little confused like by the whole thing. Is it not dangerous to quickly beam somebody to some place besides the transporter pad? 
Uh, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Seems like it's dangerous it's... like when it needs to be dangerous, and it's not so dangerous when it's not. Right. <laughs> exactly. All right. Because exactly. that could have actually gone, like, much worse. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. It could have. Straight here to the bridge. Oh, he ended up in sort of a... Because that's like that whole thing where they... Remember when they didn't stop? Yeah, it was the unnecessary worry about beaming those people down to Graves' world. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it could have been like that. Could have been uh-huh. just, just like, like Captain Cargon's head. <laughs> like, you know. Oh, sorry, you were in a wall. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's. Oh, this is going to be. T- well, it's okay because we know the captain of the Klingon ship now, so really this is not going to be a problem at all. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, oh, by the way, I did wonder, and I, I did a little bit of research on it, but couldn't find anything about the idea of having the feast before the transfer. I mm-hmm. wondered if that was a thing. Because uh, I was so amused by that scene in Ten Ford and Picard's like, oh, yeah, I've, I've done this before. I've just pigged out on a bunch of food before I left my <laughs> old ship and went to a new ship. Wait, really? I don't, I don't picture you as that kind of guy, Captain Picard. Um, <laughs> That's a great idea. But, uh, yeah, I might do that. I might, might be like, well, before I leave from this room to go into the next room, I should have a feast. That would, that would really make it worthwhile. It's absolutely fantastic. And then you get there, and they're like, all right, straight to work, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah I would. <laughs> but, man, I just had so much targ and uh, chicken fingers and, and whatever. Gah. Gah. Yeah. Oh, my gah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I also thought that uh, Riker got very lucky in this episode. Mm-hmm. Like, Riker is playing it so cool. It, it is, I, I think, the coolest Riker we have ever seen up until now. But there's that moment toward the end where he pulls out the little transponder that Worf gave him mm-hmm. and, and Captain Cargan says, is that a weapon? He says, no, give it to me. Which is great because <laughs> then he gets beamed over to the Enterprise. But Captain Cargan is very worked up and instead it could have been, is that a weapon? No, I don't believe you. Shoot him. <laughs> you know, you yeah. could have just as easily said that. So, lucky Riker. I'm not sure that Mordok and Mendon are not in fact the same being. Seriously. Have you ever seen them in the same room together? Can we've talked in other episodes and i know more than a few times about this idea that you can use violence and conquest to create a state but you can't use it to maintain a civilization Mm -hmm. and it seems like the klingons have a lot of parallel to the mirror mirror universe here what with the whole killing of superior officers (laughs) now they're not specifically doing it to move ahead right it's not just sort of that uh that desire to get rid of somebody who's in your way but it seems like there's an awful lot of killing going on or at least there could be and i thought well okay there's a little bit of the survival of the fittest going on uh when it comes to getting rid of the captain or superior officer who is performing erratically the problem is what if that officer is right um I, I thought there was something very interesting about the fixation on death and honor and and actually the Klingons are pretty easy to manipulate because of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um and it even doesn't necessarily come across as wrong, except for that interesting exchange about Clagg's father. I thought that was uh that was kind of interesting stuff. <laughs> The stuff about Clagg's father was interesting to me, especially because of the line that Clagg used, a Klingon is his work, not his family. That is the way of things. Yeah. And I couldn't help but think of what Riker said to Minuet. 
Yeah. I am my work. I mean, yeah. so so on the one hand, you could see how Riker would be like, dude, I get you. Right. <laughs> but right. on the other hand, I mean, you know, the whole the whole father issue, although I can't remember if we come across any daddy issues with, uh, with Riker going forward or not. Mm-hmm. Maybe. <clears throat> there were similarities. I mean, I was reminded of Mirror Universe as well in this, yeah. but the Klingon Path of Ascension, um, while it's sort of similar to that, there's honor in the Klingon way. Yeah. I mean, everybody in the Mirror Universe was just looking to get ahead, and you and I both agreed there's no way this actually lasts. There's no right. way There's no way they get to the point that they've gotten to at this point, unless there's mysticism involved, because all they're trying to do is each kill the other. Right. Klingons are actually looking for the best for the best for the empire, mm-hmm. and if they feel like you know they're actually better for the empire than that guy in front of them, but they literally actually feel that way, not just you know, well, I want to be captain now. I mean, it's right. not like that. Right. Like if Riker had made a move on um, the captain, mm-hmm. I think um, then Riker's second in command, and I'm forgetting all of their names now. <laughs> I think Riker's second in command at that point it would have behooved him to kill Riker and here's the thing he still would have moved up in the rank at that point but what he's really about is making sure that everything is going as well as it possibly can for the Klingon Empire and that's a that's a huge difference between between this and the mirror universe it seems to me mm-hmm. yeah well I, I think the only problem with it the, the only real difficulty here is that yes they're doing it out of honor Mm-hmm. But it, it, this kind of parallels the whole problem with Mendon and the way that he is relating to the crew of the Enterprise. There seems to be so little room in the Klingon world for discussion or information <laughs> that you could very easily make that short decision. You know, it, just as short as Cargon's decision is to turn this whole thing around into an attack. Mm-hmm. It would take that or less time for an officer to turn it around and then, you know, take that officer out when they just disagree and they make that case saying like, oh, yeah, well, you're you're acting erratically and irrationally. So I'm taking you out. And there doesn't seem to be any sort of way at all to discuss your way out of that. You know, we've already seen that before with Picard acting strangely and, him, you know, under alien influence legitimately mm-hmm. and still able to dodge every opportunity to be relieved of command. Right. You know? Yes. So what I see here, though, is that it may not be as dire as the mirror universe situation where, like you said, yeah, there, there's no way that could continue on. Um, but it does seem like you could have a situation where you are just wiping out people for bad decision after bad decision, even when some of those decisions might be good decisions. Because who's to say that another first officer wouldn't look at a captain who says, nah, let's wait this out. We don't need to attack the Enterprise. This may not have been um, a, a defensive move or an offensive move. And another first officer would look at it and go, nah, I disagree with you. That's not what a Klingon would say. And then wipe him out. I think maybe we have to look at what we mean by weakness, because mm-hmm. that's what they're looking for. They're looking for legitimate signs of weakness. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if it mm-hmm. is, I mean, like, think about Christopher Pike in the very first episode, right? He goes to Boyce and says, man, I'm tired. I'm just, I'm tired of this. I'm ready to quit. Mm-hmm. All right. Boyce at that point, if Boyce were his second in command, which he wasn't, but if Boyce were his second in command, he might stick a knife to his ribs. Yeah. And yeah. That might be his thing at that point, because that's a sign of weakness. Somebody who has ascended to, you know, top of the org chart who makes a decision with which you disagree, 
that's yeah. not necessarily you're not honor bound to kill that person at that point. In fact, it might be dishonorable to kill them simply because you disagree. Right. Because look, right. there's no way that Riker is actually stronger than um, Kark. I mean, he's not stronger. He gets the upper hand on him. And the way the organization chart is, is laid out, he's within his rights to you know defend himself. He's within his rights to you know, kick him when he's down. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's mm-hmm. something he's actually got to do at that point to keep the chain of command, to keep the chain of command going. I don't know that it would be honorable in the Klingon system to kill the captain just because you disagreed with his decision. I mean, witness the fact that Riker disagreed with his decision and Riker's already kicked somebody's butt who is stronger than Riker is. So it stands to reason he could kick the captain's butt as well. Captain's not weak here. He disagrees with the captain's decision, but the captain is not weak and weakness is what they're looking for. Not just disagreement. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I agree. It it isn't just disagreement. I, I just think that they, there doesn't seem to be a really good situation of checks and balances when it comes to the whole Klingon org chart. That's true. Yeah, they, they, they're acting very, <laughs> they're acting in a very reactionary manner. Yes. Although you there know? doesn't really seem to be a great system of checks and balances, as you pointed out in the Federation, uh, in the Federation layout, yeah. the Starfleet uh, layout either. Yeah. Uh, yeah certainly, though, I think we would agree that both are better than what we saw in the mirror universe. Yeah. Oh, Sulu's, oh, far. Sulu's like far. walking down the hall and he's got two more guys with him and suddenly everybody is now, you know, in right. danger because Sulu right. got two of the big burly guys to come with him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, that's very true. Yeah. Or or Chekhov or whomever. I don't mean to pick on Sulu. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do have to say, you know, I, I really I mentioned before that I admire Riker here in this episode. I don't think I could do what he did. You know, he, he could get killed and he almost does a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And then I had to ask myself, well, was this whole experiment a net positive or a net negative for Klingon human relations? We've established that they're allies, but that bond seems to be tenuous. At best, uh, I mean, Worf is the only one of his kind on a Federation vessel, and Riker is the first to exchange over to a Klingon vessel. So it seems that this whole peace accord that has happened over the last decades, you know, right. it really just seems to be like, well, you stay in your world, we'll stay in our world, and we won't fight each other at the drop of a hat. Yeah, <laughs> that really seems to be what it's all about. It was um, actually kind of stunning that the guy who was taking him to the captain had to be like, I apologize, but I have never actually seen a human before. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, really? I, like 60, 70 years later? Right. It's yeah. a little surprising. Yeah. And, and everything that happens in this episode, I got the impression was happening within a few hours, you know, maybe a yeah. day. Yeah. It, it's a very, very short timeline for all of this to go down. Um, so Riker... Yeah, Riker has got cojones for uh, for doing this. Um, <laughs> which but, they, but it, which it, they make a point of all the way through. I mean, they you know uh, O'Brien says, "Well, you're not scared," and yeah. Riker says, "No, I'm not scared." He's like, "Well, I would be. Why? Eh, I just would be. Bye." Right. <laughs> you know, See yeah. it's not really a big thing, except they are pointing out how I wouldn't go so far as to say that Riker's being cavalier about it, but he's yeah. not. He's not going to be afraid of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, we've. We've tried this thing for a few hours, and we've almost come to a battle. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and Riker has seen how things can get out of hand on a Klingon ship, which, uh, OK, fine, that, that's valuable information. But then you have to worry the next time you come across a Klingon ship, do you run that risk again of like, we'll, we'll stop, we'll say hello and mad one wrong move and we got a battle on our hands because they will just fight. They will just arm their torpedoes and not even care. Well, again, I think that would come down to the, well, it seems like that would come down to the specific captain, but we'll, we'll probably get back into that in a little bit. I think so. Yeah. All right. um, my favorite scene in the whole episode, mm-hmm. the Klingon dinner. I, I thought that was just great. Um, it, it reminded me, of course, of the dinner scene in Star Trek Six, which has happened in the past of the timeline, but hasn't happened yet in terms of production order. Um, I, I, I would not have been able to keep my cool the way that Riker did, um, but I love that that they joke about the sense of humor, and, and Riker kind of takes it on the chin from the, the women and the group, and uh, of course that's where we end up with that line, a Klingon is his work, not his family. Uh, but it was nice. It, it was there's something about Star Trek when so much of it is played on the bridge and it's the captain making proclamations and doing something dramatic that you kind of get to diffuse that when it's just people sitting around the dinner table. Yeah. yeah. So I, I thought that was a really well-placed and well-played scene. What was uh, the actual, the line from Riker, I think, was uh, even with, uh, even with uh, Commander Worf, it never occurred to me that Klingons laughed. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and what is it the Klingon says to him? You know, I, I'm surprised that you have a sense of humor. And Riker says, funny, I was thinking the same thing about you. you yeah. Know? Yeah. yeah. The, the whole thing worked really nicely. So maybe it's because the, the Klingons are sort of the danger point here, or maybe it's because the Klingons are just sort of a sexier nemesis, or maybe it's because we've known them. I mean, mm. since, I guess, the first season of the original series. I want to talk a bit about uh, the Benzite. Yeah. And the Benzite culture. Um, this particular one, whose name I've already forgotten, Mendon. Mendon, uh, yeah. Reminded me a lot of Bem uh, yeah. from, from the animated yeah. series. Okay. Um, ben was wrong, right? Yeah. And so he thought that what he had to do was, what, disassociate? Was that it? Basically, it, he was going to kill himself. Yeah, yeah. Or dissociate. I can't remember which. Basically, he was going to die because yeah. he got something wrong and there's no room for getting anything wrong. Now, Mendon's not going to kill himself on the bridge. <laughs> but he, we but he, did, he did screw up and he did, you know, he was at that point, he was useless as far as he was concerned. Yeah. Wesley had to tell him the difference between an irrevocable error and, you know, like a simple mistake. Mm-hmm. Now, it happened a lot more quickly in this episode than it did even in Bem, which is kind of funny because Bem's like a 22 minute cartoon. Right. right. And yet still in this 48 minutes, we're like, yeah, we're going to give him like 30 seconds, you know, to, 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 to talk him out of it. And he does. I mean, because the Benzite's a, a fairly... Uh, well, he does pick things up quickly. He even told the captain that himself. Yeah. Um, where, where you're kind of, forgive me, I don't want to say getting hung up. Where, where you're, I'm going to say getting hung up, though. Where, <laughs> where you're getting hung up on how the Klingon society works, yeah. I don't get how the Benzite culture ever evolved, right? Because, yeah. I mean, they're far too meticulous. And I don't yeah. see how they could have gotten as far as they did. Um, Pulaski argues that data is basically no good because he can't make intuitive leaps. At least she has made that argument in the past. I think uh, in um, the one with Sherlock Holmes was mm-hmm. when she did that. Mm-hmm. And the Mendesite seems able to make intuitive links to an extent in that Mendon knows, you know, to look into the growth on the side of the ship. Mm-hmm. But he has to know the entirety of the answer before he presents the question. 
So, I mean, one has to assume that there was no natural or that there were no natural predators on his planet or that they hunted any predators to extinction like eons ago and yeah. then began moving as a culture to an almost Vulcan like style of, of reason over emotion B- because you can't even go, huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> as a Benzite, you have to yeah. b- before you even go, that's weird. You have to go in your head. You have to go, that's weird. I need to figure everything out about it before I say anything to anyone because apparently it would be worse for me to go like, well, this is odd. And, and like, you know, if, then, if somebody then goes, well, why is it odd? I better have an answer or I'm out. Yeah. It just, yeah. I, I don't see how they, I mean, either they, either they conquered everything that might be adversarial in their <laughs> like ecology yeah, or they were just, you know, the luckiest aliens in the universe. I, sh- I shouldn't say aliens. They're home where they are. They were the luckiest beings in the universe. Right, right. We're the luckiest beings on their planet. But, but I, I, I almost – I take this to a dark place and, and, and I think about how um, growing up uh, on their world, you know, mm-hmm. being, being little – you know, little Mendon going to school as mm-hmm. a kid right. and, and there's just absolutely no room for error on anything. It's like, it's like Lake Wobegon. All the children are above average right? because there is no tolerance for anyone who is <laughs> average or below average. Right. And I started to think about, you know, maybe kids that I went to school with who um, had uh, such like oppressive, probably I'm, I'm, you know, figuring this is sort of assuming these things, but, probably had these oppressive home environments where if anything below an A came in, it simply wasn't tolerated. And right. it probably made these kids grow up to be miserable, or at least miserable for that time, uh, that then it was shoved into them that they had to get an A on everything. Um, so I, I, I guess unless you're a Benzite, <laughs> you know, you would find this to be a horrible way to live just an absolutely terrible way to uh, to try to do things well i'm wondering if that i mean was that why mordok like freaked out when they said congratulations mordok you're going to starfleet mordok was like no wesley help me he should be the one to go to starfleet <laughs> right although right. he didn't he didn't argue even as long as menden did yeah right <laughs> you know because right. it's a trip to starfleet come on <laughs> yeah yeah the whole thing seems very short-sighted and very um well it's efficient in a way because the the efficiency is that you, you don't bother other people saying, huh, hey, wh- what is this thing? What do you make of this? Well, no, you just go to them with an answer and say, this is what this thing is, which seems like you have to have pretty advanced technology uh, and, and very advanced reasoning to be able to do that. Um, so you cut out a certain level of nonsense, but you totally lose the ability to collaborate on problem solving, which seems like... Right. Seems very difficult to move your culture ahead. Yeah, I don't think I don't have that. I mean, maybe I mean, you can say you cut out nonsense. But really, what I think you do is just shorten the life expectancy of your civilization by uh, yeah, by eons. Callbacks to the original series, the animated series, the movies. This episode of Mission Log has everything. So, how did this episode of The Next Generation hold up? Ken, this is your big moment, and uh, all I'm going to say is don't screw it up, because I have absolutely no tolerance for error of any kind. So... 
in the finest Benzite tradition. Yes. <laughs> I want you to wrap this up, summarize it, tell me, does the episode hold up? I, uh, I don't know. Ah! Okay. No, you fail! I know, I know. <laughs> um, the examination of the similarities and differences is interesting in this episode. It's a wee bit of bonk-bonk on the head. And if there's any problem with this episode, it is the fact that it's bonk-bonk on the head. Yeah. Um, different as we are, we're not so different, except, of course, for the parts where we are. Um, Riker's second will not see his father because his father will die without honor. Now, that actually did strike me as odd because his father was captured by Romulans and not allowed to die. And he was returned to the Klingon homeworld, where he will eventually die of old age. And yep. the second um, will not go and see him because he will die without honor. But that's actually something that was decided by the Romulans, who captured him, not by him or by the Klingons, right? Yeah. yeah. And so here we find a big split between Riker and the Klingons. Um, he can't stomach the idea that the second will not see his father, despite you know that being their way, as they say. But, I mean, Riker basically arrives with this cartoon image of what Klingons are like. The Klingons accept him onto their ship with basically this cartoon image of what humans are like or what Starfleet officers are like. And they all, you know, learn a bit more about each other and they find out, you know, maybe that there are more similarities and there are certainly things that they can learn from each other. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Um, bonk, bonk, message number two, uh, don't jump to conclusions. Certainly the Klingon captain's assumption makes sense. You know, that, that, that they were sabotaged by the Enterprise, especially because, you know, if you were raised in a warrior culture as he was, uh, he just jumps to that conclusion. And so, you know, something bad has happened. So someone must be to blame. Uh, but that's not the case here. Um, yeah. I am a little bothered that we never actually find out what the source of that was. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, so it wasn't the Klingons, obviously, and it wasn't the Federation. It's just a thing that happened, apparently, and it's it's really contagious. And I'm a little bit worried about like three episodes from now where they're like, Captain's Log, we are like the last starship left. <laughs> right. And somebody probably should have tried to figure, I wonder if that Benzite fellow is still around. What I would say, I mean, the uh, the only thing that might hurt this episode is the fact that the, that the messages are so obvious. Mm-hmm. But... I'm okay with that because I thought it, I, I loved getting like an inside look at what the um, what the uh, what the Klingon Empire was like, what being on a Klingon ship was like. Yeah. I, it, I I am looking forward to uh, Crusher getting just a little bit older because sure. his scenes play still too much like an after school special, right. and I'm assuming that that won't always be the case because as I believe I said in season one, I was not a Wesley Crusher hater. Yeah. And if all of his episodes are like this one, <laughs> I don't know how that could have happened. So <laughs> that's sort of some of my stuff there. Um, yeah. Does it hold up? Yes, I would say so, especially if you're okay with it being a little bonk bonk on the head because it's presented so well that, yeah, okay, hit me on the head. Fine. I, I like the rest of what you're doing. What about you? Yeah. I, I mean, they kind of tell you from the beginning what we're getting into. This show, this episode is an examination of cultural exchange, cultural differences, and we're just going to put it all out there and and see if they can swim or tread water or do they drown when we take them out of their normal situation, throw them into something different. So they just, they tell you right away that that's what we're looking at. Right. And I think that as, as storytelling, as an episode, um, unfortunately there, there's, well, there's plenty of crossover between the A plot and the B plot. If you were to kind of systematically try to separate them, I feel like the A plot is the stuff going on with Riker on the Klingon ship. The sure. B plot is how is Mendon getting along on the enterprise 
And the stuff on the Enterprise is not as interesting. I feel like the stuff on the Klingon ship is great. And, mm. and it's some of my favorite, some of my favorite Riker moments, but it's some of my favorite Klingon moments. I, I said before, I, I think it was, I can't remember which episode we were talking about, but it was a, a Klingon episode. And I said, look, I, I haven't been the biggest diehard Klingon fan when I think about all of the aliens presented by Star Trek. I haven't been really excited about the Klingons. This I found to be really interesting because we got a lot. We continued that where we got texture yeah. about who they are and what they do. Forgive me. I have to interrupt you because mm-hmm. I, I have a show title. I believe it was Heart of Glory where you said that. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Oh, and, man. And, you know, yeah. with, with me and a show title, I got to yeah. stop you right there and go. We gotta, oh, I think it was that one. Yeah. Yeah. We just got to put the brakes on and make sure. <laughs> Make sure you get that out. That is so sad. That is so sad. Please continue. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so overall, I think it holds up well, despite the kind of places where it drags, mm-hmm. you know, and, and fortunately, the places where it drags don't just destroy the episode. They don't take you out of it in a terrible way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, overall holds up nicely. And in addition to the messages that you got, because I think those are the the bonk bonk on the head messages. Um, I, I would say that as far as Mendon goes, uh, don't be a jerk to the new guy in the office, but also don't be a jerk if you're the new guy in the office. Yeah. Um, they, See, I, I think there's more interesting stuff going on with the Benzite and with Mendon than you. Than you. Oh, realize. really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I just I, I found like trying to extrapolate because the look on Picard's face is sort of like, how did you get here? Right. <laughs> Right. You know, and I found myself right. once he has that look on his face and I'm like, how did he get there? And yeah. how did they become a spacefaring society? In fact, how did they get out of the ocean? Right. <laughs> right. Right. So, right. you know, that that to me was interesting. But that's one of those off the page kind of like, you know, if you if you go, well, now, like, can you pause it for a second? Because I want to think about this. That, I mean, yeah. that, that's, yeah, that's yeah, kind yeah. of the most you get out of the Benzite. Otherwise, it's like, oh, wow, look, two Benzite who look exactly the same. Probably that has nothing to do with trying to cheap out on the makeup. Go ahead. Right, right. Yeah, it, it seems like it, it seems like there was an opportunity for both parties to meet halfway. People on the Enterprise to kind of meet him halfway and then Mendon to meet them halfway. Obviously, he had to. He had to get to that point where you could talk to them. And yes, it took Wesley to kind of pep him up and uh, and and get him back to where he needed to be yeah. um but also if you're mendon coming into the new ship and uh the first guy that you meet is Worf, and Worf scowls and growls at you <laughs> you're probably not going to feel really confident in doing your job and i know that he wasn't the first guy i met M- mendon had already sort of irritated everybody else on the bridge by <laughs> Hovering over their shoulders and <laughs> looking at what they were doing. That's just annoying no matter what. Yeah. In the extended cut, I would actually like to see their orientation because I do want to know what was said and what was left out. Like maybe right. when, maybe when you know, when Crusher was having his embarrassing moment, like, oh, you're not Mordok? That's when they were saying, okay, look, seriously. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, late guy. Come on in because we just finished the stuff that everybody should know. And now we're on to where the mess hall is. Yeah. Yeah. But and it's funny, uh, Captain Picard actually uses the word indoctrination. He doesn't say orientation. That that stood out to me in such a weird, uncomfortable way. Yeah, that was a but, weird, that was a weird word. Yeah. In that indoctrination, it seems like Mardok or, or I'm sorry, uh, Mendon of all people Dude, should they- have picked up 
how to interact. How could you do that? They are totally different. They are totally different. Yes. Um, Other messages, sense of humor will get you a long way. And, uh, And also, you can't really know a culture until you know their food. (laughs) <laughs> that's it huh yeah i think that's one of the most important things in what's, there what's the buck henry thing that you love so much how to so say much. please pass the shrimp and oh, uh, how to say please pass the sweet and sour shrimp <laughs> that's 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 what that's what Riker learned how to do yeah very yeah. very nicely done so I, I don't know if you want to do this whole i personally i think this episode does hold up despite as you say the points where it drags are we going to start introducing the is this the first episode you would show anybody thing now? Because you keep sort of using that as a marker. And I, I kind of don't want to do that. I kind of want to wait and use that question like when we come to the episode that would be the first one that you would show somebody. Right. Because right, it yeah. seems like we've set sort of an unfair mark at this point because every episode can't be the episode that you show someone. Like, right. like oh, you've never seen Star Trek before? Here, watch this one about... Well, there was a guy who looked like this guy on before, but you'll pick that up. And this is like their old, like, like 40 years they've been at war with this race, but you'll pick that right. up. And, you, oh, actually, right. it was in a movie, though, that they're not at war anymore. Are we going to do that question every time or are we going to leave that off? No. Well, you, you just did. Okay. But, but, but I'm fine with not doing that for this one All because, right. yeah, as a piece of Star Trek, I think it holds up. Yeah. You know, it, you're already invested in Star Trek. You're already invested in these characters. And I think right. this works overall very well. Right. Um, so but, as, as a piece of Star Trek, it works as the piece of Star Trek. Maybe not. No, no. Right. I, it, it benefits from the context of everything else around it. And like I said, for a guy like me who is more excited about stories about Vulcans, say, than necessarily Klingons, this made me interested in Klingons more. And coming off of uh, Heart of Glory, you know, allowing these kinds of stories and these kind of character moments to build, I think, is what's really satisfying about doing this and, and doing it in order, even if we've had, well, let's face it, some clunker episodes in there. And please let me also add Heart of Glory. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I want to add this too. Uh, Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Find more at Roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's Trek.FM. For the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. And again, for a brand new look at MissionLogPodcast.com. Well, Take a brand new look at missionlogpodcast.com, won't you? Ken, next week, The Measure of a Man. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. There's Pippius Claw, Heart of Tar, Gah. I'm sorry. Can mm-hmm. you start again with There's Pippius Claw? You uh, you popped your Pippius there. Okay. I hate it when I pop my Pippius. Okay. There are some shows where people pay extra for that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and transmission. <laughs>